Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Welcome. I'm here today with Imogen Lamport from Inside Out Style. Imogen is an internationally certified award-winning image consultant and image trainer whose passion is demystifying the science and art of style so that you can define your own personal style and curate a wardrobe full of clothes that you love to wear because they express your personality from the inside out. She's also the author of the online encyclopedia of colour and style, Inside Out. So welcome, Imogen. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks, Karen. I love, happy to be here. So tell me, how did you get into this? What's your background? When did you start and why? Why did you start to do this? So back in the 80s, showing my age, uh, as a teenager, I used to sew a lot of my own clothes because my mother was cheap. <laughs> buy me anything uh but you know like so my own clothes I'd spend hours making something and then it could either look good or it could look terrible and I think why is the lady on the pattern cover why does she look so much better and I look terrible in this I went there must be something about my body about why it doesn't work or I'd make something and it does work and I go okay well this is great this works for my shape I'm just going to make more of these in different colors sort of thing so I was always interested in that and then I remember going shopping one day with a friend and we're both in Maya which is like a big department store and trying on exactly the same dress in the same size we're about the same height we had a you know like neither us one of us didn't look hugely bigger compared to the other and we went into the change room and we tried on this dress and she was like oh this is great this is you know I love this you know show me you in it and I went I can't come out of the change room because it's too horrible (laughs) And I remember looking in the mirror and thinking to myself, you look like the side of a house. And when I saw her, I was like, she looks great and I look terrible. So there's something about my body that this shape doesn't work and it works for her shape. So it's not like that there was the dress was essentially bad. It just wasn't right for me. And that was kind of the start of my, well, why do some things work and why don't other things work? Plus, I'd also spent a year, I used to, we used, I grew up without a television. I read a lot. I used to spend every Saturday afternoon at the library. And I remember borrowing the Colour Me Beautiful book and kind of going through it, flipping through it and figuring out kind of a bit about my colouring. And I'd, I'd had this mustard yellow jumper and every time I wore it, people would say to me, are you feeling okay? And I'd be thinking, I'm feeling fine. Why do people, you know, keep asking me if I'm ill? And I I now look and I was like, you know, when I kind of read about Colour Me Beautiful, I went, oh, probably this colour doesn't work for me. Versus every time I wore my my pink dress, I had a pink dress, people always went, oh, you look really great. So it was like, well, there's got to be an impact of colour and the different styles and different bodies. And what is it about mine that does work for some things and not others? So that kind of set me on the, I was always interested kind of, way of thinking and then I have what I call a non-manufacturing standard body shape which is pretty common uh, because most of us don't actually have manufacturing standard body shapes which is why when we go into stores and we try on clothes we find it so hard 
to find things that actually fit as well because they're not actually making for you and your body shape. Um, but it is that sort of thing. And I was just going, well, why do I find it so hard to find things? And I was like, you know, I started developing a fetish for shoes because you never feel fat in shoes. So kind of these things. And then one day I was actually out and about and there was an image consultant giving a talk and a friend and I went and afterwards, my friend was like pointing at their colour chart and saying, oh, and I was going, oh, you'd be that. And this image consultant overheard me and said, oh, you've got a really good eye for colour. Have you ever thought about becoming an image consultant? And it was almost like everything I'd already thought about going, well, why do some things work and why don't others kind of all coalesced to discover that it actually was a field and I could get training and this was something that I could do. And I'd always wanted to run my own business as well. I just never knew what I wanted to do. So it was like, you know, all the stars aligned. Um, and here I am 17 something years later, having delved very deeply into this topic. So a couple of things that are coming up for me. Why is it that body standard size doesn't fit most women in terms of colours and things like that? Because I remember until probably the last 10 years, I've seen something on somebody and go, oh, my God, they look gorgeous in it. I bought the same thing in the same colour and put it on and go, oh. And then I kind of narrow my wardrobe down to colours that I know, okay, I look good in that, but it's not a wide range of colours. Talk to me about the body standard first. Where did they get the standard from if most women aren't that? So there is no standard, to, to tell you the truth. So there were back in the 40s or something, there was a standard. And then we've got to think that post-war, like a pre-war and post-war and diets, that people have got bigger. You know, we're, we're bigger people than we used to be. And in fact, the Australian, I think, garment manufacturers got together in about 19, it was either 68 or 69, I think it was 69, I think it was September 69, they went to Women's Weekly and said, can you, like, we want to do a new standard sizing, can you put out a call to the women of Australia and can you get them to send us their measurements, then we can create a new sizing standard and we can all use it and life will be great. So Women's Weekly sent out this, you know, send us your measurements. Now, remember, we're talking 69 where people still wore girdles. So that the instructions were to A, take the measurements over a girdle, like over your foundation garments. So a girdle is going to change, you know, like shapewear as such is going to change your body a little bit. And remember, too, that, that shapewear is going to change how you look, like, you know, giving you more of a waist potentially than you might naturally have. Then they got all these measurements back in. So it's not like 11,000 Australian women sent their measurements in, and then they kind of got it all together and it did, still didn't work. And it was because 11,000 women lied about their, their numbers. You know, they might have made their busts a little bit bigger and their waists a little bit smaller. So they discovered that, you know, you just can't, you can't rely on people to tell you the truth. It's that kind of, you know, when you're measuring stuff, like, do I jam it in or do I let it was one of those things. So the kind of is no standard. And these days it's a little bit political as well, I believe, because there's some garment manufacturers or, you know, labels who don't want anybody larger in their clothes. So they, they'll have a small size 14. They might say they go to a 14, but it's a small size 14. And others will be what they call like vanity sizing, where they'll have a very large version. So which is why most of us have a range of sizes in our wardrobe, because there is no standard. But in some ways, that's good because also if it was very standard, it would mean that different body, we'd only be looking at one body shape. And we have a variety of body shapes. Like some of us have boobs and other of us don't. Some have, you know, bums and somebody have, you know, wider hips and narrower hips and where we carry our weight and do we have a stomach or no stomach or, you know, all those sorts of things. That if everything was very standardised, it'd be very hard. It'd be okay if you fit that standard, but the rest of the world would find it very hard to shop. 
So in some ways, it is a good thing that there is no particular standard. And I always think that the number is on the inside of the garment. So ignore the number. Nobody needs to know the number. It's not on the outside. The number is irrelevant. It just gives you a guide if it's a bigger or smaller garment than the other ones that are in the store. So, you know, so there is no standard. And we've got to remember, too, that garment manufacturers, they are in the business of selling you clothes. They, in many ways, want things not to be so fabulous because they want you to keep shopping. The reality is, you know, to stay in business, they want you to keep shopping. So they need you to be dissatisfied. They need you to want to go out shopping again. And they'll do things like they'll make armholes very big because what they want to do is get the maximum number of bodies into the clothes. It's not about fitting you well. It's just how do we, economies of scale, how do we get the maximum number of people to be able to get the garment on? And then B, we do things like, well, what's the cost differential between, say, a crew neck and a V-neck? And if it's six cents cheaper to make a crew neck, a crew neck is what gets made, even though a V-neck may be more flattering on more people. There are all these sorts of things that we have to understand that this is an industry about selling a product and about the cost of creating that product and all those sorts of things. We assume that fashion retailers want us to look good, but the reality is, is that rarely comes into the their kind of process of how they produce the clothes. It's what's fashionable, what's the current trends, what's coming through, let's just do stuff like that. How many of something like this did we sell last season? Not, how do I design really flattering clothes for more women who have bums and bellies and boobs and all those sorts of things that makes them look good. So so don't feel bad. I always say, you know, I always remember I was in a, a unisex jeans shop and I was in the change room trying on a pair of jeans. And I remember going, oh, like, you know, I can't get these off my thighs. And I was having a very negative self-talk, you know, lay off the pies, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I remember I heard, so there's a man in the change room next to me and I could hear him saying, honey, can you get me another pair? There's something wrong with these. And I went, He's right. I'm wrong. It's not me. It's the clothes. They're not made to fit me. Nobody took my measurements and, you know, like designed a garment to fit my body. And I went, he's right. I'm wrong. I have to go. Actually, it's just that there is something wrong with these. They are not made for me. Just like when I was 16 and I was in the trying on this dress in Maya, that the dress was made for my friend's shape, but not for my shape. And that's okay. You have to go. It's not you. It's the clothes. And don't feel bad about it. And getting an alteration is not a sign of failure because they're not made to fit you. So they'll make a deeper armhole or a sleeve too long or a pant hem too long because they're trying to get the maximum number of people into it, not to make it fit you. It's not designed for you in particular. That's a really, um, what's the word I'm looking for, empowering way of looking at it. Like the clothes aren't meant to fit you. Just go and find something that kind of looks okay and see if you can alter it because it's not actually going to be what you expect it to look like or what they tell you it's going to look like. Is that what you're saying? There is. And also, too, is you've got to think about it. So if we both went into the same store, we probably have different body shapes. I don't know. But like, and let's assume the classic V shape. Yeah. So you're a V. I'm an H. And if we went with our friend who has a an hourglass shape, and we all walked in there, we picked up the same pair of pants. Now, one of us might have a butt, and one of us doesn't have a butt, and one of us got a more of a waist, and some of us don't have that waist. Yet we all expect we can walk into a store; it's going to fit us all. When in fact, if you think about it, that's actually quite ludicrous. When we've all got different bodies, so actually expecting things to fit. 
I always think when you're going shopping, and I have a little saying, which is like rated an eight, that when you're going shopping for something, you don't buy anything that you wouldn't give an eight, nine, or 10 out of 10 to. So if it's only a seven, seven's kind of a bit average, and you deserve more than average. Now, sometimes if it's an eight, why is it not a 10? It could be because, okay, the waist is just a little bit too big, or it's a little bit too long. That's an easy fit. There's easy alterations and there's tricky ones. If it's a tricky alteration, just leave it behind. But if it's just a small thing, like the waist needs taking in slightly, or the pants need to be taken up, easy alteration. That's like if you everything else about them fits well, it's not like you go, oh, they've got a weird poochy bit at the front and the waist is digging in. And, you know, like if it's like that, just don't buy them. But if that's okay, if it doesn't rate an eight, nine or 10 out of 10, it should not come home into your wardrobe. I like that idea. (laughs) Because you deserve it. Yeah, I've got a wardrobe full of because of my shape, I find it very difficult to get dresses that fit me. I used to be a swimmer, so my chest. My rib cage is actually enormous. So anything yeah. that is has its like you're like Empire Line or yeah. anything like that. I look like an all-in wrestler. I look like I'm eight months pregnant in it because yes. it's just at the widest part right. of my body. So I go yeah. for separates, but I find that you gotta mix and match even companies for what suits oh, yeah. me on a top and what suits me on a bottom. It's not like I could yes. go in, I don't know, Country Road or Trenary or Marks and find the outfit because they cater for different things. Is that what it is best to do? Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah. you will find, like I always go, the best wardrobes are built over time and from many different places. You, know, you are unlikely to find everything that fits. Now, sometimes we might find some brand fits really well and it could be because whoever is their fit model has a very similar body shape. But most of the time it's unlikely. So that's where you go. I have to go. I'll find that bottoms from here fit better and then tops from there fit better and, and that sort of thing. And just go, yeah, mix and match. Don't expect to find things from the same place. And the thing is, it's good, you've got to fit your widest part and get other bits taken in. So if you go you know, to make it fit, but also knowing there's a lot of different things. It's proportional things. They have all these standard, where are they expecting your bust peak to be? Where they're expecting your waist to be? So if yours is longer or shorter and not in the same spot, then like the darts at the bus will be at the wrong spot or where the, the narrowness of the waist is at the wrong spot for your body. And then you'll go, things don't fit well. So have that expectation that you will have to shop multiple places, that things won't always fit perfectly. But if it's just a small tweak here and there and everything else about you love it, then it's worth buying. But if you go, I always go the worst three words to buy something on, it'll do. If you're like, you're going, oh, like I'm so sick of trying things on, it'll do. Don't buy it. You are better to leave the store with nothing and go, I've spent two hours shopping or whatever and I've come home with nothing than to take stuff home. And this is because we have this hunter-gatherer instinct that we feel like it's that we need the kill. We've got to take the thing home to prove that our time and energy was worth it. So it's not just money, but it's time and energy that we put into these things that it is really important to know that. And I think it's being empowered. I love it when I hear my clients tell me that they've something on. I find it really hard to find anything. And I go, great, you've now become discerning. Because what most people have is this wardrobe full of clothes, but there's nothing to wear because they don't love anything in there particularly. Things don't fit particularly well. They're not the right shapes or colours. Or they've just, like you, I've bought it in colours because it looks great on somebody else. Do you look exactly like them? Are you their twin? If you're their twin, great. But if you're not their twin, then maybe not for you. 
So it's kind of like knowing that. So that kind of it'll do is the worst reason to buy anything, which is why it's like rated an eight. Like is it an eight, nine or 10 out of 10? Do you love it? Are you really excited about it? Do you want to like wear it out of the store? That's what I want. So you want to be really excited. Be like, oh, I can't wait to wear this thing. It's really fabulous. Because then you know you've hit on something good. And it's going to be something that will be in your wardrobe and you'll really enjoy wearing versus if it's an it'll do. This is why you stand it. If you've got a wardrobe full of it'll do's, you'll stand there every day going, oh, I've got nothing to wear. It's not floating my boat. It's not like nothing makes me feel great. Got lots of mistakes. I mean, there's some terrible statistics about how much money we waste on clothes we never wear. Do you know them off the top of your head? I, well, I right? do, I do. So there was a study done, it was in, done in 2015, and it was done in the UK, Australia, Canada, US, and Europe. So kind of all the major Western sort of countries. They said so the average the, and so I don't know who the average woman is, but let's see some statistical the average woman spends between eighteen hundred and four thousand dollars a year on clothes. And of that, $900 worth is not worn. So that's, when we think about that, that's a lot of money. And if you actually, like for most people, if you go into your wardrobe and you go, what are all the things I really never wear? Or they're only worn when there is nothing else clean. <laughs> like, you know, it's like when I'm desperate. There's a lot of stuff we have, we might put on, we take off again. It never really gets worn. They're the things we don't reach for. When you look at that, it adds up pretty quickly. So you go, you think year on year, you know, in 10 years, you've wasted $9,000. And they say, and the, so one of the other statistics I read was that the average wardrobe over your lifetime, you'll spend about $200,000 on your wardrobe. So if you think about it, if you spend $200,000, but up to a half of that, like, you know, kind of is, is not really worn. That's a huge amount. Of, like think of the holidays, think about the mortgage payments, think about all the other things that that money could have gone to. Instead, and this is why I'm so passionate about giving women a style education, because it's this small investment in education is going to save you a fortune over time. And also, too, is you'll actually go, you'll be able to figure out what what does work for me. What am I even looking at? Like if you walk into a department store, how many pieces of different clothes are in there? There's thousands and thousands of different things you could possibly try on. So then it's, what do I even take into the change room? They go, oh, you can take five garments in. So I'm supposed to choose from all the stuff, five garments, and most people have no idea how to choose the right five garments. And this is where if you understand which colours make you look healthy, (laughs) if you understand which kind of overall silhouettes of clothes work for you, if you understand what the features and details you are looking for in clothes, you can look at something going, has it got any chance of looking good? And I've got like a life philosophy that I'm not getting naked if it's not worthwhile. I am not going to be taking my clothes off in a change room and like, you know, getting in and out of clothes if there's not some good chance. Now, I can't fit all those things until I get it on, I don't know, but at least if I've gone and gone, the colour's good, the style looks like it should work for me. You know, like all those other things kind of, I've like looked at all those other things and gone, there's a good chance then I'm taking the best five things into the change room and I'm more likely to have success than what most people do, which is grab the first five things they see that are kind of maybe possible and then get in there and then get depressed and then go, that's it, I've had enough, I'm going home. Or buying the best, the least worst rather than the best. The other thing is I tend to buy, so I go, oh, that skirt's really nice, but I've actually got nothing that goes with the skirt in my wardrobe. So I find I've got lots of individual pieces that I really Uh like, 
but nothing that actually goes together. So you've got the wardrobe full of orphans, as I call it. There's two different sorts of wardrobes. There's the orphan wardrobe, which sounds like yours. You buy things. It's it's like the magpie. Oh, that's pretty. That's nice. I like that. Without any thought to, well, do I own other things it could go with? And this is where a colour palette is such an incredibly useful tool because what it gives you is a range of colours that work for you, that the colours also work together. So when you buy something new, if it's in that range, it'll mix and match easily with other things that already exist. So a lot of people think, oh, if I buy in a colour palette, I'm limiting myself. But in fact, what happens? Yeah, you're limiting your possible options in the broad spectrum. But what happens is in your wardrobe, you'll get way more outfits, much more easily. And it makes like, if you ever get to travel again, packing for holidays so much easier as well. So this is where we've got that. Like, so you go, I've bought this thing in a colour where nothing else goes with it. And also too is when you know what works, it's easier then to go, okay, well, with this sort of shape, I need that sort of top, like if it's a skirt or whatever. So that helps you make that decision. And I always say, don't buy anything that doesn't go with at least three or four other things in your wardrobe already. Because orphan wardrobes are full of heroes where they're like, everything's a hero, but nothing, we need kind of heroes. So think about a movie. It's great to have a hero. We need a hero in a movie, don't we? But nothing else happens if we don't have the supporting acts as well. So the supporting acts make the hero stand out. So maybe it could be that you need some supporting acts that make the hero shine. So that is something to think about. So sometimes then there, some people call them like your more basics. It doesn't have to be really dull and boring, but it's something that works with the hero. And this is why, you know, Marie Kondo's Does It Spark Joy? It works to a certain extent, but then I'm going, you know, my socks don't spark joy, but I need them. <laughs> like I, maybe my boring jeans, there's nothing exciting about them. They're not a hero, but then they make my interesting tops and jackets work. I go, well, it's, it's a good version of that. It may not be as exciting as the hero, but it's a good version. And then our other sort of wardrobe that I see very commonly is what I call the clone wardrobe. So this is where it's the, I buy it in every color, find one thing. And then I just keep buying repeats of the same thing over and over again, because either I buy the same thing in every color, but of course you end up only ever wearing one or two of those colors because the other colors don't suit you. Or you've got all these different colors and you're just like, you've basically got the same top in every color and you're bored out of your brain because you go, I feel like I'm putting the same clothes on every day. And you are, because essentially it's the same thing. Or, I mean, I've seen the wardrobes with 20 pairs of black pants. Now, yeah, you know, we can have a wide leg one and a narrow leg one and a boot cut, but 20, like, there's not that much of a difference. There's still black pants. So that's where it's the, if you have this habit of buying, well, black pants are always handy or white shirts are always, whatever it is, you'll get really bored. So both of those wardrobes are not your ideal wardrobe. How do you balance it out? So if you've got an orphan wardrobe or you've got a clone wardrobe, what's your next step? Both of these come due to lack of style education. And now this is the education we never got at school. Like one of the problems we have with style is at the age of two or three, our parents taught us how to put clothes on. So we learn how to get dressed. We think I've been getting dressed since I was two or three years old. Why do I struggle so much? And it's not the physical act of putting on clothes, which is what our parents taught us. It's that that we are never taught how do I coordinate things? How do I know what goes together? And this is where the science comes in. There's a whole lot of rules of line and design. Like they're the same sort of design principles. They go into interior decorating and architecture and all sorts of other things like that. 
but we can use them on ourselves as well. And so we're not taught those. We're not taught how do I figure out what my design lines are and therefore what works for me and my uniqueness. So that sort of education really helps because then it's like if I've got an orphan wardrobe dazzled by pretty things, it's like finding those basics. If I've got the clone wardrobe, that usually happens because you're just going, you've limited yourself so far, you've got to, like, I know this one thing works and I'm just going down that line and it's that total rut. And I think about style as like a seven-lane highway. It's a really big, if you've ever been to Los Angeles, it's that kind of, you've got these massive, wide, you know, multi-lane highways and I can go in every, every lane. What happens is most people, they're going along in their lane and they're all like, oh, it's a little bit scary. There's a lot of other traffic. I'm just going to rather move. I might move one lane, but I'm not going to move right across all five lanes. That I've just limited myself to two lanes. And then after a while, oh, no, it's, uh, I'm not sure is it the next exit or not. So I'll just limit myself to the one lane. And we've got into this what I call a style rut. And then what happens is we go, God, I'm so sick of everything I own. And we go off and then we see some exit, some other freeway that's just crossing over and we go, I'm going to take that exit. And we go and buy different. Sick of what I've got, I'm going to buy different. But we buy the wrong sort of different because we don't understand our style enough. And then that thing, it's in our wardrobe and it's taunting us going, you made a big mistake. And so we go, I'm never doing that again. So we then, like, we really stick to our lane. We Like, we never even, we don't even go to two lanes anymore. We're just sticking in one. And so that's where that clone thing can really happen, where it's we've got stuck down there because we've made some mistakes and we don't want to make those mistakes again. Rather than learning about, well, what are my seven lanes? How do I use all the lanes? How do I stick to my own freeway rather than going off on somebody else's? And that's where personality really comes in. So your personality traits, there's a lot of, like a really interesting relationships between personality traits and actually different elements of style, like whether or not you like animal prints or florals or stripes comes down to personality. Like there's a whole lot of different aspects of style that are related to personality. And so it's understanding all these things. It suddenly makes it when you understand this stuff, you can go, oh, well, that's my freeway. That one's not mine. I'm not going down that route. So then whether it's the like kind of the I've got the wardrobe full of orphans where you suddenly go, oh, but I never wear some of those. And part of it can be because I don't have anything to wear it with, but part of it is some of them are a mistake because they're not you anyway. So you just, I was bored or I saw something different and I just went down that other route. (laughs) So it is really thinking about like the understanding, this is where this understanding of all the different aspects of style, I call it the style puzzle, where there's lots of different aspects of style. There's the colours, there's the shapes, you know, the body shapes, the body proportions, which is kind of our vertical body shape. So that means how long should I wear longer or shorter or where should my top send? All those sorts of things come down to proportions. Then what I call the body variations. And these are things like the, do I have a small or large bust? How about my upper arms? Are they larger or smaller? Have I got, you know, wider ankles and narrower ones? All those bits and pieces. Am I petite or tall or all that? Are our body variations and then we've got the scale of things and that includes things like facial features how large they are so it means can I go for really big collars or should I go for smaller collars should I go for like what sort of other details big patterns small patterns all that comes into scale then we've got personality too so personality influences so many things apart from you know it's the patterns it's the fabrics it's the style of things it's the how I put things together all that stuff comes into personality Then we have how much texture, like should I go for more textural garments? Should I go for flat and shiny garments? Like those sorts of things, the sheen, shine, more matte, what should I go for? So there's lots of elements of style 
And it's when you understand all those, you can then go, ah, now I know I want garments that have got these different properties. And then when I'm in that big department store, I'm looking around going, I can ignore everything that doesn't fit my criteria. It was interesting. A few years ago, I was really fortunate that I found this little boutique and I'd go in there and it was owned by two sisters who were about the same age as me. And it ended up where I trusted them to the point where I'd walk in three or four times a year and say, I need a new wardrobe. And they'd just throw all these clothes at me. And most of the time, it was stuff that I wouldn't have looked twice at on the rack had I been going around myself looking at it. And I, I remember the first few times they'd give me stuff and I'd be going, no, that's going to look awful. And then I'd put it on and I'm like, oh, it actually looks really good. You know, they were great. Yeah. And then they used to hold a Mother's Day fashion show at school. And for a few years, I was they picked a, a model from every size yeah. and I was one of the models. And what I found really interesting was I'd be wearing stuff that I wouldn't necessarily wear at all. But the difference, people had come to me and go, oh, my goodness, that looked really great on you, on something that I personally hated on me. So that was a really fascinating thing. It goes back to what you're saying as well. You know, the personality obviously comes into it too. So because I didn't like it, but somebody else thought it looked great. How do you figure that out for yourself? I never even thought about textures or any of that kind of thing. I'm, I'm feeling bamboozled right now. <laughs> That's why you, we struggle. You go, I'm an intelligent woman. Why can't I? do this like I've hit midlife like I've been getting dressed for 40 50 years why can't I do it and it's because it actually is it's a whole science it's not just I need to know my body shape people often think I just need to know my body shape it's like well you can still figure out your body shape and go well what flatters your figure which those clothes did but they weren't your personality so you didn't feel good and you didn't feel comfortable and so this is where in my programs I have like personality tests and things I do with my clients so I have these personality tests and then once we know what your personality traits are we can go, okay, from that, select from these sorts of garment details and garment styles and stuff. And suddenly it's like, ah, oh, I love that and I hate that. And now I know why. It makes complete sense. And so that's where it's it's so much more than just the physicality because we get very kind of hung up on the physicality. We just think it's what we put on. And I always remember one of the girls I trained, she was from Christchurch in New Zealand and she was telling us about, so we know when they had the big earthquakes over there some years ago, she'd gone to work and the earthquake had happened and her house was in a state she wasn't allowed back in. It was too unstable. So she only had the clothes on her back. So, of course, people are giving her clothes to wear. She said, but they're not my clothes. And this is because clothes are an incredibly personal thing. When people say nobody notices what I wear or it doesn't matter what I wear or I don't care, I go, well, sure, wear a clown suit and tell me. Like, they won't wear a clown suit. They're not going to wear, you know, like, it's that whole thing is like, okay, I think I don't care, but in fact I do because they're the thing that's between us and being naked. So they actually, it's incredibly personal. And it actually can run quite deep. You like, And this is where people often think it's vain and it's shallow to care about what you wear, but really your clothes are speaking before you've opened your mouth. They're communicating. They're commu- telling us something about you and your personality. And, and you think about even like uniforms. They tell you something about that person and what they do and potentially their beliefs. Or we've got even things like with different religions, there's different religious garb, whether it's a yamulka, whether it's a, like even something as simple as a crucifix. You're wearing a crucifix? Does it have a Jesus on it or not? Because that tells me, am I a Catholic or not a Catholic? Like there's all sorts of iconography and and meaning in clothes. Like if you're wearing a pilot's uniform 
that tells me something about you. If you're wearing a police uniform, if you're wearing a bank teller uniform, they all tell us something. So when people say, you know, it really doesn't matter, it's like, well, really? Wear a clown suit, wear a sombrero, wear some moon boots, and then get around your day and tell me that people don't react differently to you. And that you feel really comfortable. And this is why when you walk into that store and you, or you try these clothes and you go, I don't feel comfortable in them because they're not you. And that's where this understanding how your personality traits. If you have a very relaxed personality, maybe you're down to earth, more easygoing, more natural, then you're going to go for fabrics with more stretch. You're going to go for things that are wash and wear. You probably want a versatile wardrobe versus someone who's more dynamic and charismatic and bold is going to go for maybe brighter colours, sharper tailoring, higher heels, all these sorts of things. So there is a relationship. And we read that. I mean, you watch television or you watch a movie, that character's wardrobes are specifically designed to express something about the character's personality and where they are mentally as well. And so we're all reading clothes all the time, whether we realise it or not. You've already got a skill in doing this. You've just never thought about it. Yeah, no, I haven't. That's just opened a whole pathway. It's like, oh, goodness, that is what, why the costume person is so important in a movie or a TV series or something because they set the scene for that personality as much as the scene builder does, the scene creator does, or the lighting director or whatever. I hadn't even considered that. And that's the thing. So you go, because it's a shorthand. It's like half an hour of boring dialogue we don't need because... If the character, say, is dishevelled, that says something's not quite right. If the character is very quaffed, it's like, oh, very in control. Like, they're just two very simple things. You know, like, I always remember watching the Sandra Bullock movie. I think it was called 28 Days or something, where she ends up in rehab. At the start of the movie, she's wearing sloppy, stain-ridden clothes and her hair's everywhere. And by the end of it, when she's together... The clothing improve, like it tells part of that story. Like it's an immediately we can recognise what's going on with her emotionally and mentally as well, as, you know, just by what she's wearing physically. I remember reading about one of the Harry Potter movies, the one where uh, Umbridge comes to school and the costume designer changed the shade of pink. She always wore pink. And they changed the shade of pink over the movie as she got nastier and nastier. So it became a different cut, same style clothes, but slightly more controlled, pulled Uh in, and a different shade of pink. And I thought that was really clever. Yes. So that's the thing is there's so many things that are, this is why clothes are communicating before you opened your mouth. So I always go, you have control. You get to choose what you wear most of the time. So it's like, why not choose the things that are actually supporting you and what you want people to know, to understand about you, and like that are helping you be more credible and all those sorts of things that we want rather than something where you can go, I'm a really intelligent person, but nobody listens to me. It's like I find like a lot of people, I default back to gym wear because yeah. it's really comfortable. I don't have to think about it and I can just pull it on in the morning. I don't have to avoid it or anything. And that's where I fall down because it's always easier to do the gym wear than it is to do anything nice. And so I think it depends on what you're doing. So if you are sitting at home in front of your computer, it doesn't matter too much. Um, though there is a relationship, they have found that people, you know, there's a, a whole field of science called enclosed cognition. This is where they've done studies with people. So there was one really simple one, which I'd call it the lab coat, uh, the lab coat experiment, where they got a group of people, they gave them some sort of test to get a baseline measure. 
of whatever their intelligence or ability, skills, whatever it was. They split them into two groups. They gave them all the same white lab coat, but they told half the participants they were wearing the doctor's coat and the other half they said it was a painter's coat. Then they got them to do another same sort of skills-based test, whatever it was, and they found that the people who were told they were wearing the doctor's coat performed better versus the people who were told they were wearing the painter's coat performed worse. And this is just by you think you're wearing the coat of a smart person versus not necessarily a smarter person. And so as much as getting dressed in your active wear, it might be fine, but is it actually putting you in the frame of mind to be as productive as you might be? Now, active wear might mean I'm productive, I'm doing stuff. So it could be great for you, but it could mean I'm feeling sloppy and so therefore I won't perform as well. So it is worth thinking about. And I'm going, of course, it depends what situation you're in and where you're going and all those sorts of things. But it is like if you go, I want to work out today, put your active wear on, it's great because you're more likely to do it if you're actually wearing it. That's been a lot of the reason, to be honest. I'm going to go to the gym later, so I'm going to get dressed now to make sure I go because otherwise I'll duck out. Yeah. (laughs) So it can have a positive effect if it's used for the right reason. But they have found that people, when they're depressed, put on their worst clothes. So they dress in a sloppy manner. They put their baggy old saggy jeans. They put their worst clothes because we think about it often in our wardrobe, we have good clothes. So we only wear them when we're feeling good. So if we're wearing out not good clothes, it's not actually going to help us feel better. So in many ways, if you are feeling not good emotionally, actually dressing better is going to help you feel better because we associate those clothes with feeling better as well. So tell me how people can come to work with you. How do you do this? Do we have to turn up in person? Is it done online? Have you got courses and programs? I do it both in person, but I actually do more online these days. So um, I've developed an online program called Seven Steps of Style. And in that, it gives you the, like the first step is all about understanding your personality. And then we go into the physicalities, like so body shapes and all those sorts of things, what suits you physically. We go into what colours work for you, how to work out what you need in your wardrobe because everybody is different. All those lists of everybody needs a white shirt or black pants, they're rubbish because I don't know you and your lifestyle and even your personal preferences. What do you like wearing? Are you a pants person or maybe you're a dress person? I don't know. Like what you know, what you need in your wardrobe. It's based on you, your lifestyle, your location. You know, even things like physical issues, because there's many of us who go, I can't wear heels because I've got bunions, or I've got, you know, foot problems, or I've got I've got to wear um what's it called like compression garments. So like there's so many things, like physical things, particularly as we get older, that actually start to impact on what we choose to wear as well. Or, or what we can wear. Or if you've got, like, you don't know, people with insulin pumps, we've got to have pockets and everything. Um, so there's all these sorts of things that we have to think about. So, you know, how to build a wardrobe, how to understand how your physicality and personality are actually being expressed and how what other people are picking up about you in that non-verbal way as well, how you can use different design lines to express different parts of you and to, I want to make myself look stronger today or more professional. And today I want to look softer. or I want to gain consensus, all those sorts of things. And of course, how to shop well, and also how to understand your style values. Because just like we have personal values, we have style values and they are very related to each other, but they also influence like where we shop, how we shop, what we have in our wardrobe, what we wear, all those sorts of things as well. So values is really important. Of course, how to shop more intelligently. As well. So it kind of covers all those things. And so it's there's lots in there, but it means that we've got you get that style education, you get kind of all your style fundamentals. So that when you are in store, you are empowered 
And you can say no. So when the shop assistant says that looks great and you can look in the mirror and go, it doesn't. They're just trying to make a sale. You've got a website, haven't you? And the address, it will be in the show notes. But tell me what it is. So it's just all the W's and then insideoutstyleblog.com is a great place to start. Basically, there's links to everything else from there. So there's programs, there's one-on-one consultations if that's what you want. There's I also train people to be image consultants and personal stylists. So depending on which direction you want to go. For me, it was like I was so excited to find out that this was something I could do as a, a career. So it's great to know that there are really good comprehensive training courses out there. Thank you so much for today, Imogen. It's been really great. I do want to carry on talking because one <laughs> of the things we haven't covered is clothes aren't necessarily made for our age group. You're 20-year-olds or teenagers and then it's old ladies and it's quite difficult to find your style in between. But that's for another day. You might have to come back and talk about that one. <laughs> Always happy to come back and chat more. Thank you so much for today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player. And while you're at it, we'd love you to leave us a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode. And remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.